This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Bob Cruikshank, the CFO at EasyCater. You are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 472. The restaurant business and the four walls, there's always sort of the same metrics that you can look at. You know, same store sales. That's obviously a pretty, pretty simple one that you look at. The labor market in the in the Portland, Washington area is different than North Carolina or South Carolina. The other two key pieces um, are your food cost and pork cost, or liquor cost, or beverage cost. Those are the key things that really, you know, for a restaurant, if you keep your food cost in line, your labor in line, and you have a, a good rent, sustainable long term. Those are the critical factors, and then it's about creating brand awareness and driving sales so that you can you know, meet those metrics from a sales perspective. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Patrick Harkelroad, CFO of Chanticleer Holdings, a NASDAQ company that trades under B-U-R-G, as in burgers. Chanticleer is the owner and franchiser of 63 restaurants, and that spans the Little Big Burger chain, the American Burger Company chain, and BGR Burgers, Grilled Right. Now, it also owns several Hooters franchises and is part owner of the Hooters parent company. Our discussion with Patrick begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to Patrick Harkelroad, CFO of Chanticleer Holdings of Charlotte, North Carolina. Patrick, welcome. Well, Jack, thank you very much uh, for having me on. It's uh, exciting to uh, get to well, we've been uh, looking forward to this, Patrick. It's been a while since uh, we had a CFO from the uh, 
from the world of uh, restaurant businesses. And, uh, you know, particularly this area of dining seems to be changing so quickly. Uh, we thought this would be an interesting episode for us. So thank you. And uh, if, if you don't, I'm, I'm just going to jump to uh, to our line of questions, which always begins with uh, asking our guests to look back. If you wouldn't mind, Patrick, when you look back, what were those that you feel prepared you for your role as CFO of Chanticleer Holdings? Sure. You know, I think uh, I've sort of had a little bit of a winding career. Um, I uh, started out uh, in investment banking and M&A originally, uh, and then um, after grad school was with investment banking in the capital market side. Uh, So that was really sort of a base of my my career back um, in the mid-90s. And uh, from there, I I went in as a private CFO with a small privately held company that we actually own uh, pubs and restaurants and entertainment concepts, but we're primarily regional, um, and, you know, I think that that helped me really understand um, a lot of things about the restaurant business, um, what are the critical factors, what are the key performance, uh, key performance indicators, and, you know, what really makes a restaurant company tick. And um, so between my background in banking um, and my experience previously, and then I did my own CFO consulting uh, for a couple of years. Um, helping companies and, and turning some companies around, and so I think through all those through all those factors, sort of you learn along the way, and you have a lot of failures, and you learn from those mistakes and failures, and uh, as you get older, you get maybe a little bit smarter. Um, so uh, I think that's really prepared me to where I am today to come in with Chanticleer, where I've never been part of a publicly traded company, um, and uh, you know learning some of the nuances there. As I've just recently joined, so, so some of the nuances there and. And making sure that uh, you know, I had a great partner on the uh, accounting side here that that was brought in simultaneously with me that uh, could really make sure that he could, I could leverage his his knowledge uh, on the SEC reporting side as well. Now, this is not your first CFO tour of duty inside the restaurant realm. Uh, meanwhile, you were also in the CFO consulting business for uh, a stint. Actively, that can be kind of challenging for many uh, finance executives as well because it involves not only a finance expertise. A lot of people think, hey, I can do this. I'm an expert. Uh, but uh, marketing and sales as well um, and collaboration, not only with the client but uh, with, with a team of consultants perhaps. Well, I'd say that, you know, one of the biggest challenges I found as sort of doing your own consulting was uh, when you're sort of on your own, you know, one of the challenges always was, all right, you're either in a project doing work or you need to be out developing business. Most of the time you're not doing both. And so one of the challenges I've found is is you always have to keep your pipeline going if you're doing it because it's just like any sales, other product sales that you're doing or service sales that you're doing, you have to fill that pipeline. And I think as a sort of a person with a, you know, that has a single shingle and sort of their own own partner, a lot of times that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, I ended up really migrating over the past year um, before I came to Chanticleer, really developing a team where I was really more on the business development side because I saw that that's where an opportunity could be um, where, uh, you know, because a lot of accounting and finance people don't like selling themselves. And I think that's where there's, if you have a partner, if you're doing that, if you have a partner that can go out there and really, just like any other sales role, you know, 
just keep knocking on doors and and having coffees and having dinners and seeing what opportunities out there. I think that's the key to it, to that business. Um, it can be a very flexible one, um, but again, I think the critical piece is finding that pipeline and building that pipeline. That takes a little bit a little bit of time to do. So tell us about uh, this realm of the restaurant business. It certainly seems like things are always changing. Um, what was once fast food, uh, more diners are going to fast casual, perhaps, or what, what's the latest here? What would you tell us about uh, this company's offerings? Yeah, this, our concepts primarily are, I put it in the uh, uh, fast casual um, category, and I think that that's, you know, if you look around sort of the landscape right now in the, in the restaurant business, um, you know, that's really where a lot of, a lot of concepts are migrating, where um, you know, the, the customer's coming in, they're having an interface, on, you know, on ordering, but then they're sitting down and either um, getting their own, you know, food or someone's delivering it to them. And, you know, I think the, the, uh, the full service model of, of where you have, um, you, know, um, a, you know, a typical server sitting down, it, it's, there's a lot of costs that are going up and that becomes more of a challenge. And on top of that, you have sort of the evolving um, evolving way customers are using restaurants. I mean, you look at, you know, delivery online and how people are getting uh, foods delivered to them and how they're they're experiencing the restaurant. Restaurant experience in general is a lot different today than it was five years ago, especially 10 or 15 years ago. So I think that uh, where we are right now in is in the fast casual piece uh, or segment that really is focusing on how can we deliver great food at a great price um, but also make it so that it's, uh, you know, enjoyable for a family, you know, or, or you know, multiple of our consumers and, and understand who our segment is and who we're targeting. Because uh, I think that's the, the critical piece there is whatever you're delivering, you have to make sure that you're hitting the right target market that you're really focused on. So what is going to set apart the businesses that Chana Claire uh, today owns or is involved with? Well, I think that our, our strategy, and as I'm sort of uh, newer to the company, I think we, we also hired a uh, last at the end of Q4, Fred Glick as a new president, um, who he and I really have a lot of this shared values as far as how to culturally build a business. But um, I think that really our strategy is moving toward, you know, let's look at the better, better burger concepts in regional areas where we can leverage our platform that we have from a financial management, operational management, purchasing standpoint, and, le- and really create great value and create growth within those markets. So, for example, Little Big Burger was, you know, is a great concept that was out of the, the Pacific Northwest in the Portland area and very well known. And I think, um, you know, you have a great platform there and then you look to ex- expand that brand to other markets that are tangential or maybe a little bit farther away. Um, but you have to be able to build that platform. I, th- I think for us, the longer-term vision is let's become an aggregator, a consolidator of great regional better burger concepts out there and use our platform so that it doesn't matter which concepts out there. You can manage them. The, the economics, you can manage the same way. The labor, you can manage the same way. The purchasing, you can manage the same way. And so I think that's the key piece is being able to build these brands and then really become a, a really a – a um, go-to consolidator 
um, as someone's looking to execute maybe a, a sale of their better better burger brand in a market. So it's buying brands, being able to build them, but then leveraging our current platform, which we're continually improving, and that's why I'm on board from a financial and operational standpoint, as well as Fred bringing uh, why he came on to help us really deliver um, a platform so that we can go out and potentially make acquisitions and also currently grow our current portfolio in a targeted, really measured way so that we can make sure we're having the right type of growth. Now, I have to believe that uh, when you look to measure uh, these different businesses, uh, you have to look at them sometimes a little differently. Uh, certain certain um, restaurants might operate uh, with less staff. Others might require heavy uh, equipment of some kind. So um, to ask this question, what are the metrics that are important to you, uh, might vary. Uh, but what would you tell us about the metrics that are top of mind for you? Well, no, it's, one, it's uh, a great question because one of the, the you know, what we're developing here is I think that there's, as they, as Chanticleer has acquired these brands, it's sort of been acquiring, trying to digest them, and now we're, we're really focusing on and, and bringing to the table what would be the, the defining metrics, which you're exactly right. Each concept is different and operates differently. Um, but at the end of the day, for the restaurant business and the four walls, there is a um, there's always sort of the same metrics that you can look at um, from a performance standpoint. They would be, you know, same store sales. That's obviously a pretty pretty simple one that you look at as a store has matured over an 18-month period. What does it look like after month 19 going forward on a year-over-year basis? Are you growing that base of sales? Um, a Really, one of the things because we're in different markets from a labor standpoint. You know, the labor market in the in the Portland, the Washington area is different than North Carolina or South Carolina. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I am really focusing in on, and, and our team is starting to try to allow our team to start looking at, is more of an efficiency measure, which would be a sales per labor hour type uh, productivity measure, where because um, a lot of people focus on um, focus on um, you know, percent of, of labor as a percent of sales, well, that's fine, but if you're in a higher labor market um, as far from a wage perspective, um, that might may or may not be apples to apples when you're looking at it, but from an efficiency uh, sales per labor hour, that's something that really you can, it, it sort of wipes out the noise of, of uh, what's, what's going on in the market from a wage perspective. The other two key pieces um, are your food costs, and poor costs or liquor costs or beverage costs. Uh, those are the key things that really, you know, for a restaurant, if you keep your your food costs in line, your labor in line, and you have a, a good rent um, that's sort of that's sustainable long term, those are the critical factors. And then it's about creating brand awareness and driving sales so that you can, you know, meet those metrics from a sales perspective. Now, I think many of us would make the uh – make the assumption this is a tough industry. We've seen so many restaurants come and go, uh, but uh, would you agree, or how do you look at this world? Well, I think, you know, it, it absolutely is a tough sector. I mean, you look at, um, you go back five years, and you look at some of the restaurant stocks that were high-flying then and where they are now, um, and a lot of them would be in the casual dining sector. I mean, I think that's become a very challenging market, and, and obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of discounting that's going on there, and 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 so you sort of look at that and you say, okay, well, how do you survive in that market? And I think, you know, the reality is is that there's um, 
the one thing that seems to be consistent is when you have when you execute great food and create a great food program and you have great people in the stores and people that really have a passion for what you're doing, um, that's where the value is added and that's where people see a difference. I mean, you know, I'm sure you have your favorite uh, local watering hole or, or a place to eat. Um, you know, how do they do that, those things? Because they create ownership and a culture. It, it's, a, it's an inbred or it's a, a, a born sort of understanding of how to hospitality and create that environment, you know, if someone starts a restaurant. And I think it's really to create that passion and that ownership at the store level because at the end of the day, um, you know, myself, Mike, Fred, our whole corporate team or what we define as a support team is there only to support our team out in the field. They're the ones that are making it happen. They're the ones that are there every single day um, waking up and having the interface with their, their customers. And so I think really where – where people can, where concepts are going to continue to, to succeed and, and sustain themselves are the ones that can create the passion, you know, on the front lines and, and, and sort of take away the old paradigm of, of corporate down to store and versus and put the store at the top because that's where it needs to be, where people are, are interacting with the customer and making sure you give them all the support they need. So probably long-winded answer of, I mean, it is very tough, and it's and it's going to continue to be tough. But I think um, if you can have the people on the front lines that are passionate about your brand, and the, and then us as a support team can give them the tools they need to be successful. Um, you know, I think that that's where the, that's where concepts will um, really sort of move ahead of the pack a little bit. Because as you know, there's a lot of burger concepts out there. You can go from casual. I mean, you know quick serve to fast casual to, you know, upscale fast casual, whatever you want to call it, and there's a lot out there. And um, I, I feel like longer term, the winners are going to be the ones that have the right culture, the right tools in place to help their people on the, in the field, and they're really to help them bring the passion they have about that concept to the customer coming in the door. When we come back, CFO Patrick Harkle Road will share his finance strategic moment. But first, we have a thought leader minute for you. Hello, we're at the Sage Impact Modern SaaS Finance Summit, and we caught up with Ted Weitzel, Vice President of Finance for G2 Crowd. Tell us about G2 Crowd, first of all. What are the offerings? Tell us about this company. Sure. So G2 Crowd uh, was started by a bunch of very successful SaaS entrepreneurs, and uh, it was really started out of a bit of frustration from their prior companies. Um, you know, the CIO would go and say, hey, why are we not on this Gartner or Forrester analyst report? And the head of product uh, at the time was Tim Handoff, and he's also a co-founder of DJ Crowd. He go, I'll get you on that list, Mr. CIO guy. Eighteen months later, after spending a whole lot of cash and a lot of time, you're on the list, but you'll look terrible with stale data because people were paying a little bit more and had a better relationship with the analyst. You know, we're sending them nice bottles of wine. So the only thing that's worse than not being on the list is being on the list and being dead last. So GTCar is really founded uh, in order to kind of augment the analyst-type environment and help people use 
or leverage their peers in making software buying decisions. Um, when we started G2 Cloud, we also saw a lot of the B2C buying decisions being changed. You have Amazon uh, going to very reviews based. You, know, you look on a product and you're going to look at the reviews. Does it have nothing but five star reviews? If so, probably pretty fishy. You know, you want to read the one to two one star reviews uh, just to see if the product's legit and also see how the uh, provider is maybe dealing with negative feedback, right? Are they in it? To, to help you. So, yeah, we kind of saw the change of the good shift in B2C, figured uh, definitely going to be going that way. B2B, people are going to be leveraging their peers, not necessarily traditional analysts or uh, salespeople. Patrick, we like to ask for a finance uh, strategic moment, which was a place in time during your finance career where, given your lines of sight into the organization, you saw a risk, an opportunity that led you to influence the direction the company went in next. Uh, what, what what comes to mind for you? I think there was uh, when I was um, I was brought on for a uh, a frozen uh, food manufacturing processing company, and it was it was owned by uh, a group of investors, and they didn't really have a ton of leadership. There was not one investor that controlled the operation. It was it was or, or were owners, and so there was really no cohesive sort of vision or um, strategy around where the business should go. Um, it, but this company was, it had a great product and a, an unbelievable product that was uh, pushed through sort of the Cisco US food channels as well as retail. But uh, it also had a, an international presence. And I think what I learned was I'd never been in my previous career, I was in banking, and as I mentioned, I was sort of in the hospitality, restaurant, entertainment concept side. And then I got to this this opportunity and this project, and and I learned a lot about ensuring visibility across the entire supply chain from from supplier all the way into the end user. And what I mean is, we processed uh, sweet potato fries and sweet potato fries products, and understanding the the timeline and the, the lead time you needed from the time. Literally, a sweet potato is pulled out of the ground, delivered to your facility, to being processed, and understanding how critical downtime was. Too, when um, we had a, a customer that was in Ireland and the UK, that was a large customer, being to a very large uh, national um, retail chain and a grocery chain, and knowing, understanding, and learning how to put all those pieces together so that they would be delivered on time to their warehouse so that they could be, in turn, delivered to this large grocery chain. So, and one of the things I learned was that when you, and this is communication across each part of your business is critical, and that a lot of times businesses set themselves up in silos, maybe not intentionally, but they set it up because they're doing their day-to-day, and that, that silo doesn't understand how that silo can affect another piece of the business. Um, and sort of, especially when you're talking about 
eight to ten week lead time that you have to be ahead of the game. So it helped me learn about, A, they didn't have a great communication flow with their end users, so improve that process so that we would know what their deliveries looked at like and what they expected deliveries to be over the next 12 to 16 weeks so that we could then come back and then back into the supply we'd need to today and to next week. Um, and I think that's where I learned a lot about how to create communication flow that so that everybody is accountable for their own silo, but also they recognize that their silo does impact another piece of the business. When we come back, we enter the mentoring round with CFO Patrick Harkelroad. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're now going to enter our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to help offer advice to uh, future finance leaders. What's exciting you today about finance and business? Well, I think that one of the, you know, one of the exciting things to me is, you know, there's, obviously, within Shakespeare, I think there's an opportunity in a lot of businesses where you're, Emerging technology and social media in your customers, and how you manage that, and how you um, manage data and metrics around that to make sure that you're providing the best service you can to your customers. It's, it, it's, it's fascinating to me um, with any business, and, and primarily, especially restaurants and retail, is you have so much instant feedback from your customers, and how you manage to do that so you don't get lost in the weeds. Um, with with information that may or may not help drive your business. But on the flip side, how can you use that to drive your business and make it better without getting caught up in the emotional hurt that sometimes can happen in everything? So, um, so I think that for, for me, the exciting piece is uh, you have technology now that you know, um, you know all these delivery services at the at the at the restaurant level. How you can make that, how you can execute that to help change these habits, but also then that, how that relates to social media and how because people are going to still rate you differently on how that you're going to be responsible for sometimes things that don't happen that are outside of your control, i.e., a delivery service doesn't follow through on what they're supposed to do, and so your inbox that's supposed to get to them that they were ordering a burger gets there in a, in a way that they didn't want, and so therefore they equate the delivery service with the need of the technology into the equation as, as one piece of the product. And so it, the conversion of, of technology, social media, and how you manage that around your customers um, and making sure you do it effectively, I think that's a challenge that I can see for a lot of businesses, especially restaurant businesses, how you manage to do that. What piece of advice do you wish someone had given you before you stepped in to the CFO role? 
Well, I'll tell you, actually, I go even back in my first GFO role with the private company. Is I think I came out of um, a banking world and sort of really more of a um, transactional execution background versus sort of a traditional sort of accounting, you know, accounting firm sort of background. I think one of the things that I would say is that um, the day-to-day grind of being CFO a lot of times is, is, is it takes a um, it takes a lot of sort of uh, focus to, to get to it, especially if you're uh, something that might things to get done and get done quickly. A lot of times, those aren't what, those things aren't going to happen. You need to, and that's where processes and understanding how to develop uh, how to develop systems so that you can manage through this day-to-day stuff so that ultimately you can meet your strategic plan is critical. I mean, coming from banking, I can tell you that I was a very transaction-oriented type person. Uh, and I feel like, to some degree, and, and I'm at to work on how to be focused on the day-to-day stuff um, that is so critical. That's not the fun stuff. You know, it's, it's just like if you're an NFL athlete, it's the workout that you do on the day-to-day. Um, you want to see it sort of produce and get you into the the, uh, the Pro Bowl or the Super Bowl, but at the end of the day, the day-to-day things are the kind of things that that's what makes it Yeah, actually, this is one that was recommended to me actually by uh, 
to investors that uh, I mentioned about that frozen food company. It's called Scaling Up uh, by Vern Harnish. Um, it really is about how you attract good people, how do you create a differentiated strategy, and how do you execute that strategy. And, and it really is helpful. And it's really based around, I think, in an earlier book on um, the Rockefeller uh, the habits and, and sort of understanding those habits and, and, and so that really was, it really is, it's not exactly a, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of, uh, it's a little bit more academic type book, really, but at the end of the day, it has very good, um, then underneath it, I'm saying that it has content underneath it that really helped me think through, especially over the past five or six years, um, you know, think through as I'm going through this way in my business, and what's important, how do we, you know, focus on what, you know, what are the, what is our, um, purpose, what are the principles, um, what are our priorities, and understand what those look like. Um, it's, really, it's a really good book. So it's scaling up from uh, Colonel Harnish. It's really a really good one. And so we're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? You know, I think that really this is going to be not financial related to some degree is, is um, you know, right now, for Shane Chris, which is really, I think we have a great team across the board. Um, and, and Brad is really, um, really leading us from, from a kind of help to find a culture. And I think what that means, I know that says this sort of a wide open, you know, culture means a lot of different things and a lot of different people. But for me, it's really helping build a culture that creates communication and also accountability across the board. Um, and so that in 12 months from now, we'll have a institutional level, um, world-class finance and accounting organization that is driving the business in the right direction so we can make the right decisions. But all that does is tell me so we get the trust on the team across the board, create that communication so that everybody can trust each other. And, you know, I think that the goal is, is building, uh, you know, a, a, an environment of, of servant leadership and, and help, helping us as leaders of the finance accounting and startup operations and you know, together with the whole company that's right is setting the priorities and values to help better our people on you know at, at the store because they're the most important people and they're at the top of the chain and they're one of the most important and creating organizations where sort of put the paradigm of where instead of it, you know, quote unquote corporate on top and sort on bottom people in our industry who are the ones on top and we're going to support them create really clear ideas about how we need business here that then hopefully will translate into more passionate, more um, uh, loving, caring people out in the field to help build their mission for the, the customers out in the field and you know, their, their customers as well as the European customers. So it's not necessarily a finance answer, but I think it's a critical piece of, of any, any organization to Break out those walls, create communication, and really have people that are driving the business, giving the tools that we need, and supporting them in any way you can. That's a critical role. Thank you for joining us on CFO
Weitzel, VP of Finance for GQ Crowd. Without a doubt, GQ is growing, growing quicker. So tell us about that. What, what demands it places? You know, I think a lot of uh, what's going on with the stage, the growth stage of where we're at right now is going from that all or nothing juggling, you're drowning, uh, and focusing on, and moving people into focusing on their strengths, right, and getting, you know, a lawyer to negotiate your contracts rather than an accountant. Uh, having a security analyst come in and help you through GDPR rather than an accountant. Uh, recruiting internally as well as uh, external, I would imagine, as well as you look for people. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was just talking to someone before, was like, how do you know whether to go internal or external? It's, you know pretty easily. You let everybody apply that wants to apply, and especially when they're internal, you're going to pretty quickly under, like, know whether or not they're going to be successful at that job, which is really not really nice. And if not, uh, if you don't have, and you probably do not have that talent internally, otherwise you wouldn't have the problem, then you just go out and you find somebody who is specialized uh, and, you know, has that strength that you don't have. So inside this stage what are the milestones, what are the priorities as you go through? Sure, so, uh, you know, this company is growing very fast. You uh, saw Jeff Epstein from Bessemer say that he likes to see the triple, triple, double, double, double. Uh, we're definitely in that phase. So the last kind of year and then this year going forward is how do we get from that 15 to 50 million dollars of recurring revenue uh, mark and what do we have to do to change the business from 10 to 15 million dollar business to much larger get it ready for either a acquisition or an IPO or a profitable go forward private company um, the biggest thing that we're focusing on right now is taking off uh, those hats that finance and accounting have kind of been jumbling. You think about, hey, HR, facilities, I was the IT guy at some point like that, and really putting it in the hands of the experts to make sure that there's sustainable process, there's uh, sustainable, intelligent, and very specialized people uh, working in those uh, in those categories where finance and accounting was just kind of like, you'll take care of it because you're not sales or product in the past. Can I ask about your FP&A? Uh, capability and how that perhaps has uh, matured over uh, the last two years or so? Yeah, sure. Uh, we had no FP&A capability, and uh, <laughs> uh, luckily about a year ago, my senior accountant decided that, you know, he'd enjoyed accounting, uh, but he wanted to kind of get into more of a finance role. So we made him the assistant controller, and he's been working very diligently with the budget owners to understand, you know, what they need to know in order to run their business and also how very little inputs apply to the business as a whole to create this flywheel effect of growth, right? Um, so the last 12 months have been figuring out what all the inputs are, what all the drivers are, how to create the flywheel. Um, we're going through a process right now of putting that in, well, Google Sheets, but could be the same thing in Excel. And then once we have that dialed in and have a little bit of history, we'll work to automate it uh, with a third-party tool. Thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. All right, great. Thanks for uh, having me, Jack. Really appreciate it.
Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.